And this morning, I want to share with us from Mark. It's actually not Mark 71 to 13. It's actually Mark 7, verse 1 through 13. And I put a quote out there by Friedrich Nietzsche. The text has disappeared under the interpretation. So don't, for those of you that might recognize that name, don't, don't panic. I'm not suggesting that God is dead. And I'm not suggesting that nihilism is the option that we should go for. But, but I think that's a really profound quote because I really think it's true that God, while he's not dead, he very much can get lost with the layers of interpretation on the revelation that he's given to us. So that's what Jesus is talking about, beginning in Mark 7, verse 1. When the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed some of his disciples were eating with unclean, defiled hands. That is, they didn't wash before they started eating. And then Mark puts this parenthetical Paragraph in, because he's really writing to Gentile people that might not understand Jewish custom, which would be most of us. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. There are also many other traditions that they observe the washing of cups and pots and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus is going to introduce us to an idea that is important for us to get. The word of God, as revealed by God, as spoken by God, is not the same as the tradition of the elders. And they actually, if you notice, they kind of they go opposite directions. And then the other analogy is God reveals, and then humanity has this tendency of layer over what God has said, just layers and layers and layers and layers of interpretation, so that the text disappears. And we go by what the tradition of the elders say rather than what God says. That's what the tension is. And so the Word of God is what Jesus is going to elevate. And when the, when the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees say, Well, why, why? Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? But he with defiled hands. There really was a short answer. Jesus didn't include the short answer. I just, I just, we just visited about it, and I thought I would include it. He basically said, Well, the Word of God does not command my disciples to wash their hands before eating. According to a rabbinic rule that went beyond the Torah, the Torah is the law, first five books, what God has said, you have expanded to include this, but it's not actually what God said. So my, I'm training my disciples to follow what God says, not what the interpretation of what God says. You following me? Doesn't sound familiar, does it? Now, Jesus does give a longer answer, and it brings in this idea of korban. So he goes on to say, You scribes and Pharisees have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Moses said, 
Honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father and mother, whatever support you might have had from me is korban, that is, an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you've handed on. And you do this with many things, i.e. like declaring me and my disciples unclean when we don't wash our hands before eating. Now, that may seem like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. And so I'm going to do a couple of things to try to explain that. First of all, Nate, would you bring me the offering basket? Thank you so much. So the easiest way to understand this is just to realize Susan went to Rwanda with the debit card. So I'm cashless. Got no money. I'm poor. But I called on Adam today so that he could bring me 10 bucks. So Adam, did you bring that 10 bucks? Maybe. What do you mean maybe? Now see, when Adam's about to exchange this currency with me, everybody see that's really green stuff right there. He all of a sudden has this, well, I kind of ticked it, Dad. And therefore, I'm just going to decide at the last minute to make a vow. My vow is Corban. And what do you do with the money when you say Corban? Say Corban. Corban. Where does that money go? There. What? He just gave my money to God. And he just got around the, the, he got around the commandment to honor his dad. At the last moment, Corban. And the gift disappeared. And I'm, I'm not going to take it out later. It's gone. Contributed to God. Now, there's a longer way. Revelation does get lost under layers. The Old Testament revelation, that which is offered. And then layered upon that is rabbinic interpretation. And then layered upon that is Jesus trying to get us back to what God said. Now, I know you can't read all that, so I I did make it bigger. So, the revelation about an offering, God spoke. The custom of bringing voluntary gifts of all kinds to God on the basis of dependence on Him and an orientation to Him. So, those of you that have been reading in the Old Testament, there are offerings, right? There are sacrifices. You could look at number 7, verse 1, and like the paragraph following, and there's all these articles that are being devoted, given for the tabernacle to be carried around in the wilderness. And those korban, those gifts, are being given to God for what's happening in the history of Israel. And they're they're just kind of declaring we're depending upon Him and we're oriented to Him. That's where the idea starts. But when you get into the last century of B.C., right before the change, right before Jesus comes, you begin to have what's the Midrash. So you begin to have a whole, you have volumes and volumes of rabbis interpreting what God said. And what they did is they took this simple idea of giving an offering to God and it became a vow formula. So the implication is simply, 
that over which the formula is pronounced is withdrawn from the use originally intended. So Adam's gift to me, originally intended for me, when he said, Corban, it's redirected away from me. There's no question of actual transfer of certain things to God, but only of their withdrawal from the control of others. So he could have given me a gift into my, and I chose to give it. So it's a way of control. Such vows could be brought into effect without prior deliberation by the mere utterance of Corban. Last minute, just like he did. Corban, no gift for you. And the results of such vows are always far-reaching and can lead to a complete breach of relations. In a patriarchal order such as that of later Judaism, the effects are particularly noticed when the Corban is between husband and wife, parents and children, and children and parents. So people broke relationship over things like money, which they said with their mouth was devoted to God, and they withdrew it from supporting their parents, no longer honoring father and mother, but living according to the tradition of the elders. You get that? Then Jesus comes along, and he says, you know, you're honoring God with your lips, but your heart is far removed from God. You are pretenders. Your traditions are causing you to be pretenders in relationship with God. They forgot that God has given it. God has given it. The it is the word. God has spoken. God has revealed. We're fortunate that it was written down. We've got this word from God. And that was not for its own sake, but that word was given for the sake of us, of people. And they forgot that in God, righteousness and loving kindness are one. God does not separate out righteousness and loving kindness. They live together in God. And that His loving kindness is not to be found only where satisfaction is done to His legal claim. That is, if you follow all of my rules, then I will extend my loving kindness to you. The Old Testament doesn't do that. The New Testament does does not do that. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That means repentance follows what? Kindness. God is kind towards those of us that rebel. Who in the room has rebelled against God? Every one of us. Dad, gummit. And what got us out of our rebellion with God? We just kind of like straightened up. Okay, I'll just follow all the rules. And then God loves me. No. We've had these incredible moments of God showing us mercy. He did not give us what we deserved. We deserved it. I mean, we're rebelling. We deserve correction. And he said, I'm going to shower you with my mercy. It's that mercy that leads us to repentance, to change, like life change. So God's never, God has never, ever expected people to live according to the rules so that they receive his chesed, his, his covenantal love, his loving kindness, his mercy. He's always said, I mean, I, I want you all to live well, and I'm going to give you commands directing you to live well, but I'm not going to withhold mercy if you don't live that way. Matter of fact, I'm going to pour the mercy out on you more. 
Jesus is contended, is contending for the untruncated validity of all Scripture. He's, he's saying, I want you to receive the complete validity of God's Word. In opposition to a type of exposition, a type of interpreting the Word. So again, it's this interpretation of God's rules, God's law, God's commands, that that, that interpretation takes the place. Their exposition fixed on the letter. It was the letter of the law. Thus, they were unable to see Scripture as a self-disclosed whole, which arises from the, the same holy will and has the same goal of sanctification, setting people aside for God, but which also leads with sanctification to loving kindness, since the giver of that loving kindness is absolutely good. God is absolutely good. He's moving us towards transformation, transformation, conformity with what's best in our lives. And he does that with loving kindness, not by rules. Following? Now, in this, in this kind of story, layered story and correction that Jesus is bringing, there's some real danger. I mean... I mean, this is like, this is not that many verses. And these verses, this is what it says about human traditions or the traditions of elders. These people honor me with their lips. Their hearts, however, are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrine. He goes on to say, you abandon you abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition, thus making the word of God through your tradition void. Wow. There seems to me like Jesus is trying he's trying to make this reversal. I think what he's really trying to say is, how can they and us, how can we abandon our human traditions and hold on to the commandment of God? How can we reject our traditions in order to keep the commandments of God? How, how do we make void these traditions that have been passed on to us, which are not the commandment of God. How do, how do we honor Him with our lips from a heart that's close to Him in worship, teaching His commandments as doctrines? And those are all great questions in this one paragraph that's raised. So then it really brings me to, you know, what are our traditions. I mean, I don't believe that first century Pharisees and scribes are the only people that have the tendency to do this. I believe that we are, like them, very vulnerable to think that we're doing a good thing when we're actually not doing a good thing. You know, where, where are we at danger of abandoning, of rejecting, of making void the Word of God for the sake of these human traditions that, we've been, that we just grow up with. 
Where has the text disappeared under our interpretations? Many of us have had experiences where the light has gone on and you've realized, I've been following a human tradition thinking that it was the commandment of God and you've had this realization, that wasn't God at all. That was somebody's interpretation of the commandment of God and I've been following that. So I don't want to do that anymore. I want to start following the command of God. So I'm going to ask you, to tell us. I mean, I don't want to just tell you what I, I mean, I don't, you know, my opinion doesn't mean all that much. But I'm really curious about the experiences that we've had of realizing, oh, no, wait a minute. I've been following this human thing, and it's not God's thing. So anybody, anybody you know, raise your hand if you've had that experience. Great. A few of us have. Now, now that you've raised your hand, that was like that was bold to do that. Are you bold enough to kind of stand up and tell us your I this is the tradition that I held on to and then tell us you know briefly this then I had this realization and I realized it wasn't God and I've come back to this command. Okay? Anybody want anybody brave enough to do that? And could we could we like record you? Like can I share my microphone with you? Because I think it would be beneficial for us to share this. Who? Ryan, come on. Everybody clap for Ryan. Come on. Because the clapping makes it easier. Let's bring it a little closer. Do you want me to pin it on? You can. I don't know how. That'll take longer. I'm just tight. I'm teetered to you. Um, I grew up in a background where uh, we ranked sin. In certain sins, there was like this ladder of sin, and certain sins were like devastating sins, but then the sins that Christians commit on a regular basis are kind of more appropriate. And so it was a it was kind of a household of um, things like homosexuality way up here, judging homosexuality way down here, you know, those types of things. And and I think shortly after Becca and I, my wife and I got married, we went to, it was kind of a, it was actually a conference kind of dealing with uh, the topic of sexual struggles and things like that. And, and I remember towards the end of it, everybody was standing and we were praying for all of these various vices and sins that people are 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 burdened by and chained to slaves to and and I remember this this guy was kind of listing these things off and we were praying for him and we got to the end and he said and God most of all I want to pray for the people who struggle with judging these people and I was like that's me <laughs> you know and and I think at that time I realized that God looks at me in in that struggle and in that sin exactly the same way that he looks at all of those people that struggle with those things that I judge them for. And and I was I realized that that was something that like growing up, you know, that that kind of that sin ranking, those those sins that 
that we have an easy time kind of judging people for. I, I always just considered that that was like a God thing. <laughs> and then I started to realize, like, that's nowhere in the Bible of, of God, you know, having a hard time with certain people for certain things and, and having an easier time with certain people for their certain things. So I think that that topic of of certain sins being, you know, on this ladder of sins being totally inappropriate and then other sins not, I think coming to the understanding that God views all of those people exactly the same way was something that I learned. That's great. Thank you so much. Clap again. That's great. So what the Bible says is mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what God says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If God went by judgment triumphs over mercy, we would all not be here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's really a great a tradition of condemnation. It's great. Okay. Next. Who else? That was wonderful. We, got, we need more of this, right? Come on. Come on, Otto. This is Otto. Everybody clap for Otto. Give it up for Otto. Do I have to stand close to you? Please. All right. <coughs> this is not near. Susan's not here for two weeks. I need a little touch. I'm going to stand over here. Um, so for me, part of it, you know, I, you know, I grew up going to church uh, in, in very uh, formal, traditional churches and uh, and, and, I, and I love that, and I, and I still love that. But um, part of what I realized in my young adult years, uh, before there was a lot written about it and before there was a lot, you know, it's kind of the, the cool thing to talk about now, but I started realizing that it, there's something about that that wasn't, uh, it wasn't relevant anymore to a lot of people. And as much as I loved it and as much as I still love it, uh, you know, I, I hear hymns on an out-of-tune piano, and I go, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, but it just wasn't working to reach the people that needed to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. And so I started realizing that a lot of what we did on Sunday mornings and just in our church buildings in general was not uh, divinely inspired, but it was just out of force of habit. And we'd pretty well been doing it the same way for about, 1700 years and that maybe uh we could we could rethink some of that and so that started me on a very long journey that has had us here for the last i don't know what six seven years something like that but uh but so that was part of it for me just realizing that a lot of what we do on sunday morning that we think is sacred and divinely inspired really not much that we do is other than the you know obviously the worship part in uh you know, studying his word together, but the rest of that we've got a lot of a lot of wiggle room with. But that was part of it for me, letting go of that tradition. Great, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It reminds me that the Bible says, "Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." So whenever we're gathering together in our worship services, there if there's not a freedom and worshiping in a variety of ways, and, and some of it's cultural preferences. That's, that's okay. Uh, but if that freedom isn't given, if it's demanded that you must worship God this way, then again, that, that's this tradition. So, Otto, thank you. That's something that's really, really helpful as well. Uh, ladies, I mean, is it just guys that are, you know, have had these 
aha moments with traditions. Any lady would like to, we'd love to hear from a lady. Please come. Clap. Thank you. Hi. Um, so I come from a very strict Christian family. They're awesome, and I love them, but they can be very harsh and judgmental, which led me to believe that God was harsh and judgmental. Mm. And it didn't matter what my life decisions were, say, getting a film degree, which applies to, like, nothing in life. Um, <laughs> it was always you have so much further to go before you reach any kind of level of success or obtaining that righteousness or whatever it was in the situation. And it wasn't until I had a very amazing friend and mentor in college, and she's still awesome. She actually applies her film degree to something in L.A., but whatever. (laughs) I'm not jealous. (laughs) Um, She kind of showed me that I was allowing people's perception of how God was to affect my relationship with God. And so I kind of went through this really wonderful transformation. And now my number one is God is love. And I really don't care what anybody else says about that. God and I are tight. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. Doesn't matter how I act. Doesn't matter if I dye my hair purple or get tattoos. God loves me. So now that I'm shaking. Thank you. You did. You did great. Man, can't go wrong with that one. I had a similar experience. Uh, I wasn't raised in a churched home, but I had, a, I had some prodigal experiences. And do you all realize, like, the father always was watching for his son to come home? Always. He never stopped watching. And when, when the son got there, you know, he had this, that thing rehearsed. You know, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And... and God the Father said, I don't, I don't need to hear that. That's not what I think about you. That's what you think about yourself, but that's not what I think about you. We're going to celebrate your return. That love of God, I mean, that's what, again, that's what transforms us. I mean, I think maybe what the common ground between the traditions of the elders and God, I mean, we're looking for a way that we can be transformed, and sometimes I think that if you, if you study Jewish history, what, what's happening in the, the last century of the B.C., the Rome is invaded. And so Jews are feeling like they're being pushed into a corner. And they're, they're, they're feeling like, well, man, these Gentiles are way too close. <laughs> and so the way for us to maintain our separation, our distinction our, quote, holiness, is we're going to regulate it. We're going to pass laws that will set us apart. And then we'll use those laws to judge them because they're not like us. And I think that's what the dynamic, that's why the rabbis were writing furiously. But as they're doing that, God is preparing to send the real answer, which is Jesus, (laughs) Messiah. King, God does have a government. God is going to direct us, but it's not this same sort of it's not the same sort of setup. So again, if you keep that historically that perspective, and then if you just think you can even, you can probably plug that in to our day. We, you know, as we as we as followers of Jesus, you know, we we begin to feel this pressure. We begin to feel like oh, everything's falling apart. 
Sometimes what we grab onto is law. And we begin to judge. And we begin to condemn. And we forget, wait a minute. That, that, that world out there that I feel so threatened, that's the world that I was kind of rescued from so that I could return and, and say, you know, the way I got out of that is the mercy of God. And so that we can befriend everybody and we can be kind and we can be loving. And through that, over time, in all likelihood, people will say, you know, there is something really different about you. And what is it? It's Jesus. This is how Jesus has treated me. So my friends, my appeal today is that we don't lose. We don't lose what God has said, is saying to us under our interpretations. Within our Protestant tradition, we're within the Protestant tradition. I can't say we're Orthodox and I can't say we're Catholic. We don't have a final say on interpretation. There's no, there's no final word on interpretation. So the only thing we're really left with is humility. That the best I understand, I'm reading this and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit and I'm using the resources I have. Best I know, I'm coming to this place, but, but I'm not there with, with total certainty. And if I come to a place of certainty and pride and I'm telling you, well, this is the way it is and everybody else is wrong. You, you know, you need to say, whoa, whoa, time out, cowboy. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not the final say for Protestantism. I'm not the final say for our community. There has to be a humility. God has spoken. We want to hear him and we want to follow him. And we don't want to lose what he's saying to us and the direction he's pointing us with our silly interpretations. We can share those. We can learn from those. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But we want to hear what God is saying. All right. So would you like to stand with me? Thank you very much for those that shared their story. Lord, as we we stand before you, really the bottom line is that we want to do those things that represent your word, your commandment, your command, your direction, your kingdom. Lord, we want to be free from the traditions that have been laid upon us that really keep us uh, from hearing what you're saying. So I ask Holy Spirit that as friends have shared today, that, that you would bring any kind of conviction or understanding into our minds of, of any tradition that we're holding too tightly to, which does not represent you. I ask you to bring any kind of revelation, illumination, conviction, Because, Lord, as a community, we want to follow you. We want to learn from you. We want to live out what you're teaching us. We don't want to live out the traditions of men. So, Lord, in the prayer that you taught us, let your kingdom come. Jesus, be our king in our midst, directing us towards what's best in life. 
Finally, Holy Spirit, help us when we're out and about and we have those opportunities to share our faith. So often people ask us about our traditions rather than about you. Give us wisdom, Lord, to say to those that have questions that, you know, our tradition in the vineyard, well, it's okay, it's a place we go and there's some good things about it, but it's not perfect. But our desires for people to know Jesus, not to know our church or our church activities, but to know Jesus. Give us the wisdom to, to, to know the difference between those and send us out to enjoy life this week to its fullest in your name. Amen. Thank you for our morning together.